big weekend for everybody where they get the multiple days off, the time, the opportunity to spend some time with their family. And in our Nobody's Listening segment of the show today, we're going to touch a little on that. So I do have a little non-sports related discussion and topic to bring up, but it won't be until later on in the program. Obviously, you got Michigan, Ohio State today, which I think is going to draw a lot of attention, especially if you're a college football fan, and even if you're not a college football fan. And I don't claim to be, I don't claim to know everything about college football. I understand its history, but anybody that understands part of what makes the history of college football what it is, understands Michigan, Ohio State, understands on every given year that Michigan, Ohio State, doesn't matter how good the two teams are, it's something that's worth watching. And in, in a rare occurrence, if you look back at the whatever, the amount of times that Ohio State has won in a row, the amount of times they've been favorited over Michigan in consecutive years, it looks like Michigan has a little bit of an advantage, at least on paper, but it's something we'll discuss a little bit more down the road. Just a reminder, if you want to be part of the show, you can give the show a call, 732-364-3598. You can also comment on the Periscope and Facebook Live feed. Anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. I was thinking about this the other day, and I think it's a very interesting topic to bring up because we could talk about the evolution of sports. And think about it, you know, you understand the position of an owner of a particular franchise, somebody that owns a sports team, whether it's a football team, whether it's a baseball team, hockey, basketball, you know, you could go anywhere along the lines. In order to do that, you need capital. In order to do that, you need to be accomplished or at least come out and say, hey, I'm a rich man I, or a woman, and I could throw this amount of money out there to own the franchise. And if you go back years, you could go back 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, we were down to just a certain amount of people that could be capable of owning. And if you own a franchise, you obviously have to be very successful. It could be second generation. Your father could have had a lot of money, and because of that, you inherit a company and have the ability to run an organization. Now, you could have success outside of sports. You know, look at a guy like Mike Illich. You look at several different owners that have had success in different types of careers and owning products and being revolutionary in things that we do in America that, you know, on an everyday basis. Because of that, you're able to make a lot of money. You could win a lottery. You could play your, you know, your, your Powerball jackpot and come out with a billion dollars like we had a couple weeks ago and use that money to own a sports franchise. But the one thing that had stayed away and one thing that was hard to judge was could a player perhaps someday own a sports team? And it wasn't that long ago that the answer was no. You remember baseball and all the years that it dealt with the reserve clause and players were essentially uh, enslaved to the owners and were pretty much property of the owners. The owners can sign you to a one-year contract with an option for the next year. It kept the instances of long-term contracts very minuscule. And because of that, players were owned by the owners. As we hit the opening point 
of the Passball Show today. Lots of other topics we're going to get into in a world of baseball sports and unifying America. So now we watch as baseball and football and basketball starts to compensate their players. Now, the general public, for the most part, believes that players are overcompensated because they're playing just a game. The fact that they're not putting their lives, for the most part, in harm's way and are being compensated very, very uh, positively for just playing a game. But we have to understand that it is a form of entertainment. The entertainment exists, whether it's a movie star, whether it's a singer, whether it's a, a rap group or anybody that is providing entertainment has the ability to be compensated. And remember, who is it that ends up compensating these people? For the most part, it's their fans. The fans that show up at the ballpark, the fans that go to the concerts, the fans that every time Tom Cruise has a movie, go to the box office and make sure that they watch the movie multiple times. So in the end, the compensation is coming from the fans, and it's a certain value that's understood that if somebody's out in the spotlight, if somebody is worthy of attention and has drawn enough fans, then in the end, they should be compensated a certain amount. So we've watched as things have changed over the last several years, and now you look at players making $20, $30 million a year, and now they're in a position where they have a chance to transcend the sport, not just for what they do on the court or on the field, but how they can control the sport down the road. And I'm hoping that more people will, over time, do what Derek Jeter did. Derek Jeter took over as one of the principal owners of the Miami Marlins. LeBron James, when he's done playing basketball, I hope he owns an NBA basketball team. Because you're looking at something that for years has been controlled by business owners, and part of their owning of their particular business is a sports team. And it's almost like they own a sports team on the side. And I'll talk a little bit about Bob McNair, the late Bob McNair, in a little bit. But there's many examples of owners in professional sports that are just accomplished businessmen that think it's a good business decision if they just pick up and own a professional sports team. And what that does is that creates a little bit of a divide. A divide between the players can have multiple different meetings. We could talk about owners and saying that you're a piece of property or you are a, you, know, you have the owner and the owner is millions and millions and millions and in some case billions and billions of dollars more accomplished than the player. So if we've looked at something that's changed where the amount of money that the players are being made and if a player decides through their accomplished career that they're going to save their money properly, they're going to pick up extra revenue when it comes to endorsements then they should have that capital where they have the ability to go out there and buy a team. And I would expect to see more accomplished players in all the major sports step up and start purchasing shares of teams. And in some cases, if you're LeBron James or Derek Jeter, if you're accomplished enough where you have that type of money where you can buy an entire franchise, go out there and do it. Because I really do think it's time that sports changed as they gravitated away from successful businessmen and women that we've seen throughout the country. You own this, you own that, you have stock in this, you have stock in that. And because of that, you have millions and millions and in some cases, billions of dollars. Now, I think it's time that the athletes are finally being compensated 
you know, 30 million, 20 million dollars a year. You add that up over the course of four or five years, you have a 10 year career, you have a chance to make a couple billion over the course of your playing career if you add endorsements with it. So why not? Instead of going out there and doing the cliche, doing the regular general thing that athletes like to do when they're done playing. All right, yeah, I'm going to go coach. Well, listen, there's nothing wrong with going out there and coaching. There's nothing wrong with you know impacting the youth. You have a little bit of a training facility that you set up and you teach some younger kids how to play at a particular sport. They had the opportunity to play for a series of years. But what about thinking outside of the box? What about taking that next step and impact that sport going forward? Because we're not really seeing it that much. And athletes are being compensated way more than they ever have been before. And I would think that more athletes would step up, some while they're playing perhaps, but mostly when they're done playing, when, they're, when their you know, bank rolls are sitting there, when they're looking at the amount of money that they've accomplished over the course of a long career. If you have a Hall of Fame career now, in the world of professional sports, baseball, football, basketball, you know, even hockey to a certain extent. If you're a Hall of Famer now, the amount of money that you could have generated over the course of your career, if you invested it wisely and just held on to some of it and lived within your means, you should certainly be able to buy a professional sports team. So why aren't there more ex-players purchasing sports teams? And I don't know if it's the maybe a little bit of a bureaucracy of the owners that exist there. The uh, owners that are all stuck together may not want to vote in a former player to become an owner and may look at themselves, say, hey, you know, for the series and series of business owners that have existed for years, if we bring in one player, it may impact the future of other business owners having the opportunity to own a franchise. But I'd rather have that discussion going. I'd rather have that out in the general public saying that, you know what, business owners want the opportunity to first dibs to own a professional sports franchise. And I want to see more players step up to say, you know what, because of the amount of money that I've generated over the course of my career, whether it's through my pay, through my endorsements, I put that money aside. I should throw my hat in the ring and have the opportunity to own a sports franchise as well. And if at least that goes out in the general public, you have the battle that exists between the players that want to be owners and then the old guard of the owners that have existed, the successful businessmen that have said, hey, I got enough money. Let me go buy the Yankees. Let me go buy the Boston Celtics. You know, they're, they're doing it maybe because they have some interest in sports, but mostly because they can. And you think of the answer to any question, why do people do what they do? And it could be anything. It could be devious. It could be positive. Why do people do what they do? The answer is because they can. And business owners have the extra money. They have the ability to go out there and buy a sports franchise if they want to. But now in 2018, we have a generation of players that if they save their money properly, have the amount of money that the owners have. So why not take advantage of it? Why not see LeBron James own an NBA team? Why not see Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Cam Newton own an NFL football team? Why not see Barry Bonds or Alex Rodriguez own a Major League Baseball team? We're seeing Derek Jeter do it. I think it's time that we see 
players take that next step because for years they felt that it wasn't possible, certainly in the days of the reserve clause and the days where players as athletes were property of the respective teams that they belonged to. They didn't think it was possible. Now, from a financial standpoint that it is possible, I think it's time that more players stepped up and tried to own professional sports franchises. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So you had the match play yesterday between Tiger and Phil, and certainly if you're going to pick two golfers, at least contemporary golfers, obviously, you could go back to the days of the Ben Hogan's and the Bobby Joneses and the Sam Sneeds and the Arnold Palmers and the Jack Nicholas's and talk about, let's say, a fantasy matchup of two golfers going out there playing 18 holes against each other. And I, and I was very interested to see how this would turn out because if you think of match play in golf, Sometimes we think of it when it comes to the majors as you're going down that uh, that final nine, that back nine of the last round of a major tournament, and you got two players that are neck and neck with each other. You almost get the equivalence of a little bit of match play. It's that person's best against that other person's best, and it's probably going to come down to the two of them in regards to whoever's going to win this particular tournament. So you watched Tiger yesterday, if you got the pay-per-view event, against Phil Mickelson, and it probably could not have turned out any better. From a rating standpoint, a lot of people were drawn in because they were neck and neck, and it wasn't one player having a great round of golf against another player just having a lousy round of golf. And you were talking about two of the best players to ever play the game. What do you got between them? Are you talking about 19 majors between them? I think Tiger's got 15, Phil's got four. You're talking about two players that, if you think about golf, the word golf is, or the sport of golf is thrown out there. Those are names that come up in the discussion because just about everybody, you don't have to be a golf fan to know who Tiger Woods is. And you probably don't need to be a golf fan to know who Phil Mickelson is. So the fact that you're looking at two of the best of this generation, two of the best of perhaps the last couple generations going up against each other, mano y mano. And you almost think of Happy Gilmore, you know, Shooter McGavitt going up against Happy Gilmore in that last round. And to see who can outperform the other. Now, I'm a little bit lukewarm to, I don't know how interested I am in wanting to see match play in golf on a consistent basis. Because I think as well as it went yesterday, and it certainly did. If you're talking about a scenario, the people have put this thing together for the PGA and set it up for pay-per-view with Tiger Woods against Phil Mickelson, could not have envisioned a better scenario. You know, it goes beyond 18 holes. They play 22 holes. The fourth playoff hole, Phil wins. And $9 million goes to Phil Mickelson as opposed to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods comes out of it with nothing. But what Tiger Woods comes out of it with is a bunch of golf fans are going to believe that he's got the ability to win another major or two over the course of his career. He might very well win another two or three majors in his lifetime. That being said, you watched it. If you were hoping from a golf fan standpoint that it would gain a little traction, 
it probably came out the best way possible. Now, do I believe in match play down the road? I think you're going to have many worse scenarios than what you saw last night. Now, if you're like Lucky Alex and didn't find any interest in it, Tiger versus Lefty equals yawn. If, you, if, that, if that was your impression of what you saw last night, then you're certainly not going to be a fan of match play and golf for anybody else. Because you're looking at two golfers who obviously have the name recognition to them. And in addition, you had them play a competitive match where they were right near each other the entire time. Tied through 18 holes, tied through 19 holes, tied through 20 holes, tied through 21 holes. So from that standpoint, if you didn't find any enjoyment in it, you're certainly not going to find any enjoyment if it's, let's say, uh, you know, um, Rory McIlroy against Jordan Spieth, and one of them is ridiculously ahead of the other. You know, five strokes ahead through 10 holes certainly is not going to, you know, increase the entertainment value as you're trying to finish off a particular tournament. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lukewarm on it. I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I would expect golf to probably try this again. Maybe a different pairing. I don't know. Maybe Tiger versus somebody else. Maybe Phil versus somebody else. Phil won. Maybe he gets a chance to pick his next opponent. I don't know. But I do I do look at golf, and I've looked at golf objectively for a number of years. And I've grown a little more in favor of it as the years have gone by. I do think the money um, you know, standpoint and the major tournaments are a big deal. And lucky Alex, I'll tell you, I'm right on with this. And this is actually what I was getting into. If you have golfers playing with their own money at stake, it's like that whole playing Monopoly with real cash type of thing. I think, I think it would be outstanding. I really do. Now, you want to say, hey, I'll take my own money and donate it to charity. That's all right. I mean, I'm okay with that. Uh, let's say a $9, $10 million purse out of your own pocket. You know, the, the winner... You know, the winner takes the other $10 million from that other player and donates it to charity. I'm okay with that. But I think it does raise the level up a little bit. You know, you don't say, hey, here's $9 million that was generated, and you'll throw it towards the winner. Absolutely. I would love to see, you know, especially in any sort of pay-per-view event. You know, even if you think of, let's say, a Floyd Mayweather and a Conor McGregor. You know, when, when they were going at it, it you know, in pay-per-view, we kind of knew what the result was going to be because it was a boxing match and Floyd Mayweather was, was very well trained and understood, you know, how to keep his body in, in, in shape in regards to stamina and kind of be ready for the war as opposed to the battle of the war when it came to an individual round. He was able to, from a stamina standpoint, fight off Conor McGregor to a point where he knew in round seven, round eight, he'd be tired. But... How much more money could that have generated if that was 25 to 50 million that each one of those fighters were putting into the into the middle? I mean, I find that fascinating. Now, going back to a point where maybe before we were talking about owners, you know, coming from players or players becoming owners, you know, you need to have that money to be able to put down. I'm not expecting somebody to take every last penny out of their savings and checking account and saying, hey, if I lose this, I'm going to lose everything. No, you'd want it to be amongst accomplished enough athletes that could handle the loss of $10 million. And those players that are involved in a particular event would be set up that, hey, if they did lose, you know, their life wouldn't be over. 
And we talk about degenerate gamblers all the time because this show gets into uh, the discussion about different types of gambling. And I always bet on football and I bet on this and I bet on that. But there are people that get too much involved. They're in too deep when it comes to gambling and end up spending too much money and impacting their own life. And, you know, it's just sad to see that somebody could enjoy betting on sports and have a good time with it and all of a sudden feel the need to bet on every single thing. And when they do that, they compound their bets on top of each other. All of a sudden, they're not making their rent payment. All of a sudden, they're not paying their bills. Their spouse is pretty upset with them. Maybe they're going through a divorce now because of it. And it just sends their life down the tube. That's not what gambling was sent out to do. And I would expect that on a pay-per-view event for two people to get together and compete in some sort of match play to throw their own money out there that they don't necessarily have. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, I'm sure they both could pony up $9 million to throw into the center or throw onto the green to go at it for 18 holes. I'm sure Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather can throw 25 to $30 million in the middle of a ring and say, hey, the winner gets all. But I don't expect it on a smaller scale. I don't expect even thousands of dollars for people that don't have that type of money to be able to do it. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. We're going to do NFL picks in a little bit. And then we got nobody's listening segment, which we're going to finish off a little bit later on. But, you know, I did have to talk about, or I did want to talk about the passing of Bob McNair, longtime owner of the Houston Texans. Before that, he was involved in a hierarchy of the Houston Oilers. And we started the show today by talking about the ability that players could have down the road to own a particular sports franchise. And Bob McNair, of course, you know, the owner of the Houston Texans, really one of the people that saw enough in Houston as a city in Texas, of course, losing the Oilers just a couple of years before when they moved to Tennessee to really get himself involved and in getting a team back to Houston. So I think there's many people that are going to be very grateful for him for what he was able to do. I think of a guy like Earl Campbell, went to the University of Texas, played his entire career for the Houston Oilers. Earl Campbell being a Texas guy, being a Houston guy, is more likely to root for the Houston Texans now that they got a team there than for the Tennessee Titans, the Houston Oilers who moved to Tennessee. So he was committed, of course, to bringing the NFL back and an NFL team back. And he formed what was called Houston NFL Holdings in 1998. And the NFL announced that there was going to be a 30-second franchise and it had been awarded to McNair. And, of course, the rest has been history. So from a Houston fan standpoint, a Houston Texans fan, even an old Houston Oilers fan, owes a lot of debt and gratitude to Bob McNair. Now that being said, there have been some negativity or a little bit of negativity drawn towards Bob McNair. You know, his views, which he's entitled to his own, he certainly has the right and ability to, if he wants to feel a certain way. I understand why there was some backlash in his mentality towards the players that were protesting. Now, I, I don't want to turn this particular show into a discussion about that because we've done it a number of times. We've had a number of discussions about, 
you know, first of all, my views on the players' protests, which I believe they have the right to. Um, but the other side of it, if an owner of a team does not want that type of distraction, they have the right to not employ said player. So I take that because that's been my view all along on this topic and apply it to Bob McNair. Bob McNair, as the owner, has the right to employ what type of players he wants. Now, I can make a case about Bob McNair that maybe he was not necessarily feeling or could relate to what his players were going through. And I do think that's an important point that has to be brought up. And Bob McNair to essentially say, hey, if a player kneels during the national anthem, I don't want them on my team. That, that may speak to the guy maybe not understanding enough of exactly what the protests were for and what it meant, not just to the athletes that were playing, but to the National Football League. That being said, you know, Bob McNair is going to be remembered as a very big figure in the history of Houston sports. And prior to becoming a Houston Texans owner, he, he had involved himself, of course, was very successful, um, was an owner of power plants in New York and West Virginia, and was pretty much the prime example of the type of owner that I was talking about before. The owner that was successful outside of the world of sports and decided he was going to get his hands in and become an owner of a particular sports team. And he did that. But now, in the day and age that we live in, players are, have the ability to be more vocal. And they have the ability to be more vocal because they are being compensated way more than they were before. So I expect to see, and I should see, down the road, if not immediately, more players stepping up and becoming involved in ownership groups. And if they do that, I think they have more of an impact in their sport, more of the ability to control their own sport, and more of the ability to relate to the players that are playing the same sport. And I think uh, Major League Baseball and a guy like Charlie Comiskey years ago with the Chicago White Sox, a, a person that managed in a game, a person that played in a game, but when he became an owner of the, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, could not relate to the players of that time. He was used to, when he was a player, not being able to make ends meet, having to have a second job, having to have an off-season job. And the thought that players would think that they deserve to get paid more money than he did when he was a player was something that he would not tolerate. So all of a sudden, he became businessman. He became the owner, the figurehead, the person, the man, and tried to control what the players were being made on his particular team. Of course, that led to the Black Sox scandal and the White Sox throwing the 1919 World Series. But for whatever reason, there's always been this separation between owners and players. And I, I just think there's a simple solution. We're talking about players being compensated the way they are. If you're able to make money, if you're able to do a, you know, save, put money aside, why not? more players involved in owning sports franchises. And I say hello to Douglas. He's from Venezuela. Welcome. Appreciate you coming in, joining the show. Anything else that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. So Bob McNair passes away at the age of 81. Uh, he'll certainly be missed. Certainly a lot he did for the community of Houston, especially during the, uh, the, you know, the hurricanes and, of course, bringing pro football back to Houston.
So I did want to get into my NFL picks for the week, and I'll make it pretty quick. And I'll, I'll be serious. When it comes down to it, a very disappointing week last week. We're in a spot where things are, you know, the chances right now of having a winning record when the season is over is not very good. And I looked at my week last week when it came to Sunday, and going one and four really kind of demotivated me when it came to picking the games this weekend. Of course, I could put some money down on Michigan, Ohio State. Be interesting to watch. A couple more hours, I'll be glued to the TV watching that game. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I think of some of the other the, the games that are going on this weekend. Because you have a series of teams that are kind of in the middle of the pack when it comes down to it. And teams like, if you watch the Atlanta Falcons, probably their loss to New Orleans probably put them outside of the playoff contention. If they were to go out there and win every single game that uh, impacts them the rest of the year, maybe they'll have a little bit of a chance, but it's probably not looking too good for them. You got the Philadelphia Eagles who are in a tough spot as they're playing this weekend against the Giants. Now, a loss to the Giants will put the Eagles in a very similar situation where they'd have to win out if they're looking to get into the playoffs. The team that won the Super Bowl last year, all of a sudden, it's not looking so good. And, you know, you look at what happened with Dallas beating Washington. Now, all of a sudden, they're in a tie, both at 6-5 and five in the NFC East. So, what, what's interesting to me is how teams are going to approach these next couple games. And, and and I always said when it comes to betting on professional sports, especially in football, they the games get a little bit easier to pick as the year goes on. Now, I would expect to win more games or be able to predict more winners based off the point spread now than I would in week number one or week number two. And because of that, I feel a little more confident. I did pass on the Thanksgiving Day games, but... You know, as soon as I get some uh, sort of help with the internet here, we'll we'll start our NFL picks. But I can't, in all honesty, I can't waste any more time talking about this. But I do want to get up on my computer screen the freaking spreads. So we're going to have to go to a different type of site to do that. But, you know, you think of a team like Seattle. You know, they weren't given a lot of respect when the season started. And all of a sudden, they're in the mix. And you're looking at a series of teams that are certainly, when it comes to the NFC, have a very good chance of doing the things that they're doing. And if you think of, and I apologize for the inconvenience, and I'm, I'm sorry, the first couple sites I tried to click on didn't necessarily get the job done, so I apologize for that. We'll, we'll get to it in a little bit when we do NFL picks. So hopefully we'll get the games with the lines up here so I can start picking. And we're ready to go. So once again, apologize for the inconvenience. First, first game that I was interested in picking. And of course, I don't have the direct lines on me, which is going to do nothing to piss me off. But, you know, hopefully what is the spread on this one? I don't know because there you go. We got it. We finally got it. So the Cleveland Browns are heading to Cincinnati, playing the Cincinnati Bengals. The Browns, probably the best 3-6-1 team that we've seen in a long time. And I believe that this is a team that should have had a couple more wins, should have certainly won out of their first three games, two of the three. 
And had they done that, they'd be in a very good situation and a very good spot to get themselves into the playoffs. Now, the Bengals, you, know, you look at Hugh Jackson going from being the Browns coach to being a consultant or involved in a coaching staff with the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think that necessarily is going to help the Bengals. You know, you talk about John Gruden years ago when he was the coach of the Oakland Raiders for a long time. And of course, is now. But what ended up going to... Tampa Bay, and coincidentally, it's the Buccaneers and the Raiders in the Super Bowl. He knew more about the Oakland Raiders than the Raiders did. I don't think the same thing's going to apply to Hugh Jackson here. I, I like the Browns kind of having the mentality of having nothing to play for. Had they had a couple more wins, and maybe this was a game that was going to determine whether they were going to get in the playoffs or not get in the playoffs, I figured they'd be in a little bit more trouble. But I like the line. They're getting two and a half. They're at Cincinnati. So give me Cleveland plus two and a half at Cincinnati. Next game we're going to talk about. I'm going to have to put in on this. I think the you, know, you look at the Giants and Eagles. And what drew me to this game was the spread. And the Giants have won two games in a row. And are in a spot where certainly a playoff appearance is something that's not out of the realm of possibility. But we're trying to think of it from a realistic standpoint. They're not going to the playoffs this year. And they're not really going anywhere when it comes to 2018. Now, I think you could go back and remember what happened with the earlier game in the year when the Philadelphia Eagles had themselves an advantage. Uh, being the Super Bowl champions, but they're sitting there at four and six. And honestly, they're looking at their season as being very close to being over. And the reason that it's over is because from a secondary standpoint, they can't stop anybody. And I understand when they're playing the likes of New Orleans, you know, you'd expect it to be a big, a big deal. If you're playing the offense of the New York Giants from a defensive standpoint, the Philadelphia Eagles should be able to stop them. Now, that's going to be the question. If you're going to look at who is going to win this particular game, I'm certainly going to want to know if the Philadelphia Eagles defense and their secondary can stop the New York Giants offense. Because we look at the Giants and we know that the Giants have had a hard time scoring. They've done a little bit of a better job, but they are having, you know, it, it, it's almost like what is going to be worse, the Giants offense or the Eagles defense. Now, I'm going to believe in the Giants for this reason. That I think from an offensive standpoint, they're getting a little bit better pass blocking. Saquon Barkley has a very good impact in that offense. Eli Manning is avoiding getting hit. So it, it's a situation where I can see the Giants at least keeping the Eagles from covering. So give me the Giants plus five at Philadelphia. So the next game I wanted to talk about, you got the New England Patriots traveling to New Jersey to play the New York Jets. Now, the thing that sucks about this, if you're the New York Jets, is you'd probably want to see at some point what Sam Darnold can do against the likes of Tom Brady and the Patriots. Now, there is a possibility, and you know, you're looking at the spread the way it's set, you know, New England favored by 10. If Tom Brady doesn't play, I mean, how did, what does that do to impact the line of this game? But I'm going to go along the lines of believing that Tom Brady is going to play. And if Josh McCown, who's going to be the quarterback for the New York Jets, was anywhere along the lines of what he was last week, 
then I think it's going to be a terrible, terrible game for the New York Jets. And I could see this game getting ugly very quick. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are throwing a couple extra balls down the field late in this game to just kind of, you know, separate themselves from the New York Jets. The Jets certainly in a rebuilding phase, obviously looking forward to the amount of money that's coming off of the cap and their ability to spend in free agency, which I give them credit for. It's going to be a very good offseason. They are certainly in a spot where they're going to be better next year than they are next year, this, this year. And I look at the Patriots, and I think it's a great opportunity for them, of course, coming off of a tough loss uh, a couple weeks ago to the Tennessee Titans, trying to solidify that division title. Give me the Patriots minus 10 at the New York Jets. So I'm going to pick two more games here. Another one I think is interesting. I'm going to pick the Monday night game in a little bit. We got Texans, Titans. But before we get into that, I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks and Carolina Panthers. Now, both of these teams, when we've seen them play their best, they have looked really good. And if you looked at both the Seahawks, who are at 5-5, five and five, and the Carolina Panthers, who are at 6-4, and four, you're thinking that both of them, when they're playing at their best, could be considered legitimate pro football playoff teams. Now, the question is, from a week-to-week standpoint, we don't know which one of these teams are going to stand up. Now, the Seahawks, when, they, when they've been playing good, you've seen the best out of Russell Wilson. You're seeing a, a rejuvenated running game. And the Carolina Panthers, who have not played well over the last couple weeks, and this is when it comes down to it. And I'll say, if there's one aspect of gambling when it comes to betting on pro football this year that has worked for me is when you're betting on a team that's good, that's coming off of a down week, I'm usually doing well. So give me the Carolina Panthers minus three and a half at home against the Seattle Seahawks. I think they could cover that spread. You're looking at a team that has struggled, you know, was not good last week, is better than what you saw last week. So give me the last game that I want to pick. You got the Tennessee Titans traveling to Houston to play the Houston Texans. And I've done well on the Monday night games this year. I think I, I've only lost one out of four or something like that. And, of course, I'm not betting on the winner. I'm betting on the spread. At any time I've taken the Titans this year against the spread, I haven't lost. So I look at six and a half that the Titans are getting on the road in Houston I don't believe too much in that Tennessee was from Houston, so them and the Texans are a rival. I don't believe much into that, but I do believe because they play in the same division. I think there is some seriousness to it, and this game will certainly have some implications on whether the Titans have a chance to make the playoffs this year, but most certainly whether the Houston Texans have a chance to run away with this division. They started out by losing their first three. They have a chance right now to win their eighth game in a row. And I'm not saying they're not going to be able to do that. But I look at the spread, and I see the Titans are getting 6.5. So give me Tennessee plus 6.5 against Houston. And the reason I do that, first of all, if the Titans win, I win the bet. But if you're looking at a three-point game or a six-point game or a five-point game, I, I could see this game being close. And that's really where I'm standing. So we'll go real quick 
recap of the picks before we get into nobody's listening segment of the show. Cleveland plus two and a half at Cincinnati. The Giants plus five at Philadelphia. New England minus 10 against the Jets. Carolina minus three and a half against Seattle. And finally, Tennessee on Monday night plus six and a half against the Houston Texans. So anybody that's tuned into the show for this point, I want to thank you. Um, We're going to get into our one non-sports topic of the day, which we like to call Nobody's Listening. And, of course, it's brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Before we get into that, I want to remind everybody that this is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you will find at no beer at any cost. So I talked a little bit about Thanksgiving the other day and how people tend to want to discuss amongst other people how much of an inconvenience it is for them when it comes to, oh, I got to prepare all this food. Oh, I got to pick up people from the airport. And you figure in a time where everybody will be thankful for what it is that they have and will be happy to see their relatives, you wouldn't see that in this day and age. But 2018 doesn't surprise me. The one thing that continues to frustrate me and has frustrated me for a series of years is this thought about going out there and starting your shopping as soon as possible. Black Friday is set up to where it's almost a national holiday by itself. From a business standpoint, just about everybody is off from work. It's almost a free day for just about anybody in the 9 to 5 business world. You have off on Thanksgiving, you have that Friday off. Very few people at work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, have to work on the Friday after Thanksgiving. All very good reasons to stay home and enjoy your family on Thanksgiving. Now you got the likes of the Walmarts and the Coles and the businesses from their standpoint thinking that they got an opportunity to hit this untapped market with nobody shopping on Thanksgiving. So they decide to offer these ridiculous deals and have all this product in the back to be launched out for people that are going to wait in raves and droves to get. And you're basically saying F you to those people's families. Go yourself, San Diego. You're basically telling people that their families should not mean anything. You're basically telling them that there's got to come a certain point where we're going to have to choose between the company of their own family on a holiday like Thanksgiving and going out there and saving themselves a couple bucks. So first of all, shame on the retailers. Shame on those retailers that are only able to offer those type of prices and that type of pricing on Thanksgiving. And also, shame on everybody that decides they're going to leave their t- their family's dinner table and go out there and shop for Christmas on Thanksgiving. Now, the only way to stop this would be for people to say, I don't care about how good your deals are. I'm going to spend Thanksgiving with my family. The problem is, is there, may, there are way too many people that are thinking of it as such a positive of the amount of money that they're willing to save. Yet those kids that they're trying to get presents for and getting a good deal on something that that kid's going to be happy about on Christmas or whatever holiday that they celebrate, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever, they're going to have to answer their kid's question of why did you leave in the middle of dinner 
on Thanksgiving. And I don't think it's right. And I think if more people would understand the importance of the holiday of Thanksgiving and what it means to those that are around them, you would expect to see less and less people leaving their house on Thanksgiving. Now, listen, you could be like me and forget the sugar for the cranberry sauce and have to go somewhere and find a place that happens to be open on Thanksgiving in the morning for a couple minutes. But I promise you, I didn't get up in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner to go to Walmart to get something that's stashed in the back of a warehouse. So once again, try to use some, I don't know, you're talking about intelligence that you're using by saving money. How about using some intelligence of your brain to understand what the most important thing is? And that should be to the loved ones that are around you. And if there's one holiday each year that you could take to remember how much everybody that's close to you should mean and means, it's Thanksgiving. So shame to everybody that went out there and went out shopping on Thanksgiving Thursday. Little recap of the show today. Uh, rest in peace, Bob McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, brought football back to Houston, obviously a successful business owner. And, you know, I spoke about the importance of players to maybe have more of an impact in the run of sports today. More players are getting into front offices. You're looking at Derek Jeter becoming at some point the majority owner of the Miami Marlins, which I expect that he will. LeBron James potentially thinking about owning a basketball franchise when he's done playing. Players have the ability right now from a financial standpoint to be able to become owners. And we talk about the disparity that has existed for years between owners and players. What, what way to bridge that gap by having more players get involved in ownership? You got the match play between Tiger and Phil the other day. Good for the sport, but I'm not so sure. It's something that I'd expect to see more and more of. And if you're going to do it, put the player's own money behind it, even if that goes to charity. You got the NFL picks were up there. Obviously, nobody's listening segment we just talked about. Leaving your family, abandoning your family at the Thanksgiving dinner table just so you could go get a couple deals at Walmart. We'll be back with you next week. Once again, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. Um, certainly watch the Michigan-Ohio State game, which I'm going to be watching today. Um, gun to my head, I tell you, Michigan pulls it off. It's going to be close. I think the fact that it's in Ohio and the fact that Ohio has been a better team, Ohio State has been a better team over the past several years. I think they're going to build off the energy of their crowd. But I do believe that Michigan is the better team. So I see I can see Michigan winning by less than three points. See you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.